1: The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Josh Levine and this is Slate's Sports Podcast. Hang up and listen for the week of April 30th, 2018. On this week's show, we'll talk about LeBron James's heroics in leading the Cleveland Cavaliers out of the first round of the NBA playoffs. We'll also talk about the future of Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, and the Oklahoma City Thunder, and other news from the NBA. We'll also discuss how the city of Philadelphia, the 76ers, and New England Patriots owner Bob Kraft have embraced the rapper Meek Mill, who was released from prison in time to watch the Sixers' series-clinching win last week. And finally, we'll kick around Josh Allen's old, not-super-great tweets, which resurfaced in the hours before the quarterback prospect got selected in the first round of the NFL draft. Stefan Fatsis is off this week, but joining me from LA is Wozni Lambre, aka Big Waz. You can listen to Waz on the Back-to-Back Back podcast, where he talks about basketball and lots of things that aren't basketball with the likes of Zach Harper and Amin El-Hassan and Tom Haberstrow. You can also check him out on another podcast called The Score, which covers the crossover between sports and music. Waz, thank you for making us a part of your weekly podcast
0: schedule. Well, thank you for having me. That was a fantastic introduction. Ethan, you got competition on Warriors Wednesday.
1: <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Waz is uh doing uh my job by introducing ethan strauss what's up ethan
2: <laughs> uh nothing much happy to join you guys happy to be happy to be here with the great and powerful Waz. you know so uh, let's do it
1: ethan uh writes for the athletic he's one of the two hosts of the house of strauss podcast which he keeps in his family by having uh his wife also be on the line check that out um Ethan, should we talk about the Warriors or are they just they're just gonna cruise into the conference <laughs> finals? It looked it looked pretty uh, devastating what they did to our New Orleans Pelicans in game one.
2: I love how quickly it shifts because leading up to that series, oh, there it was, was, that, a lot it was of, like
1: five minutes in the second quarter it shifted.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because leading into it, it's oh, I don't know, the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean, they might be a <laughs> Uh, they might be a tough matchup for the Warriors and Steph. I mean, when is he coming back? They could be in some, they could be in some real trouble. And I remember before the game, I was I was hearing about how the Warriors coaches were so concerned about this this series. And yeah, it, it shifted so quickly. I I went to Oracle and it was it was boring as hell. The game was, and I spent most of my time talking. Uh, talking to people in uh, the two organizations about other playoff series, so that that <laughs> you know gives you an insight into uh, into how lopsided that was. What do you think was?
0: If you watch the Warriors play, they usually they generally only play hard for maybe a quarter. Sometimes only six minutes, they go up <laughs> by 15 points and then they kind of go about their business. But if you're not watching these games and they might seem a little close and they didn't win the 73 games this season. So you might think, wow, this team is vulnerable. But the reality is they've been to have speed the entire season. You know, they went through the whole thing when they won 73 games and ended up losing in the finals anyway. Um, last year. It was a new bunch, so it was kind of a new team with the addition of Kevin Durant. So I guess they had a little bit of something to prove, but after they win the championship and in a resounding fashion and a manner that's like we crushed all of our Western Conference opponents, we basically went undefeated, we barely lost a game to the the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. Um, we're going to kill everybody that we play. And so it seemed like they sleepwalked through the whole season. Finally, they meet a quote-unquote challenge in the New Orleans Pelicans. The idea that they would lose to New Orleans was kind of always laughable.
1: Um, Ethan, what were the playoff series that just employees of the Warriors, like during, let's say, the third quarter, like what were the playoff series they were more <laughs> interested in? I was going to start with the Cavs and the Pacers. Like, what did you get any good Cavs Pacers chatter from like anonymous warriors officials?
2: No, there was there wasn't a lot of Cavs Pacers chatter. I think there was just an assumption that LeBron would close it out in game 7, but there was disappointment over and and this one was strange to me. It felt like I had not written about basketball for a year, and I come back and suddenly people are telling me that Ricky Rubio being hurt is a major factor in a playoff series, <laughs> uh, which is which is just amazing. Um, but deeply felt. I think there is a lot of disappointment over how Utah Houston could have been a good series, but for Ricky Rubio going down. and that ultimately, uh, that that ultimately they just don't give Utah a chance that they're that they're drying dead effectively. that the high switching switch everything defense of the Rockets is too much for the jazz to handle without the uh, the help of a ricky rubio throwing lobs to to go bear so that that was that was just interesting to me as uh, oh my god how how long have i been away and like rubio's had like a pretty massive
1: transformation just in the looks department that i i feel <laughs> like you could feel like you've been in a coma and you wake up and he's got this like kind of her suit like long hair Situation, um, so I can understand that w- that would be discombobulating for you.
2: Oh, it's very discombobulating, and especially for me because my job—I uh, I had a brief, I had a cup of coffee in MBA PR out of college, and my job was to usher Ricky Rubio around on draft night um, and force him. Through uh, just a procession, a Batan death march of interviews for three hours, as he is a helpless teenager, kept pleading with me through broken English to see his family, and I just kept pushing him forward (laughs) and forcing him through this soulless process. You know, welcome to the NBA, kid. So to see that fresh-faced teenager at that time uh, now become this swarthy Sons of Anarchy character, I mean, it's really jarring. It is. Yeah, Rubio went
0: from... Looking like a member of One Direction to looking like a villain from a Taken movie—it's kind of crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, we've all gone on that journey, and so I feel like uh, <laughs> we're we're with him in that. Um, I want to get back to the Cavs in a minute, but maybe we should um, take a pit stop at the Jazz Thunder series. Um, and I, uh, where, where do you guys want to start? You want to start with Russ, or do you want to start with Donovan Mitchell?
0: Hmm.
2: Mitchell, what are we going to say? He's great. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He's great. Those scoop layups are awesome. It's so fun to watch him. Adidas really uh, hit the lottery that that they now have a charismatic guy that they can make a shoe for the jazz. The the jazz are going to get TV ratings in the future. That's incredible that that might happen. I think that's how good and how charismatic it's not just great with Donovan Mitchell, but his play is charismatic. There's just something to it that makes you want to watch, and that's all fine, but it's nowhere near as fun as uh, discussing mm-hmm. Russ and the Thunder right now.
0: And you know what? As a very long-time LeBron watcher, some would even say a LeBron stan, um, <laughs> I always... Where, where,
2: do you, where do you work again, Waz? Where
0: are you working right now? Uninterrupted. Shouts to the score. Um, <laughs> I always found the conversation around LeBron to be interesting because it was so polarizing. But I think now that LeBron has kind of settled into dad mode, he's more universally accepted and respected than he ever has been in his whole career to the point where, you know, we went from... (laughs) look. where you would question, where certain people would question the idea, like, is LeBron going to bring the goods in a clutch situation to <laughs> right. where now it's like, no, LeBron's going to kill these people Um,
2: yeah. in this game seven. Skip, but, Skip, Bayless, Skip Bayless is like one of those guys in World War Two got marooned on an island and thinks he's still fighting long after right. it's done. He's the only guy. He's the only he's, guy he's left. He's
0: the only one still fight. Exactly. But Russ has now overtaken LeBron as the most polarizing figure in the entire NBA. And That is fun to watch. That's a great point. And I think in Russ's case, it's warranted,
1: right? Like you could argue that in LeBron's case, it was never warranted. But like Russ in games two through four of that first round series scored 56 points on 54 shots, like in three consecutive games. Then in uh, game five, he has 45 on 39 shots. And then in game six, I don't know if I have that in front of me. Oh, yeah, he had 46 points on 43 shots. And so so you can have an argument about, you know, does he make his teammates better? I've heard that a lot this week. Does he, you know, hog the ball? Is he padding his stats? But I think fundamentally the issue here is that, like, unlike every NBA player who isn't LeBron, the dude just isn't consistent. Like he has some games that are amazing and some games – that aren't, and so if you're gonna be the prisoner of the moment, TM Ethan Strauss, you're gonna, you have no choice but to oscillate between thinking Russ is amazing and thinking
2: he's horrible. Well, Haralabob vulgaris, uh, NBA gambler extraordinaire on Twitter, said something that and he has well-founded opinions. I don't think this is a hot take for attention, but it was interesting to me because it was so out of step with the conventional wisdom. He said he would take at least 25 players over Russell Westbrook on his team, which to me, sounds plausible. It does, and it's a bit situational because if you have nobody on your team, maybe you want a Russell Westbrook. He does raise your floor, but he does also put a cap on your ceiling because he doesn't adjust his style of play um, to the point that you need when you have the talent uh, that could actually win a championship. So uh, he he represents in the polarization that Waz talks about. I think um, he's not just polarizing, but there is a he he represents a chasm between a certain advanced stats efficiency obsessed way of viewing basketball in a more old school this guy scored a lot of points and filled out the stat sheet view as well
0: and I think another interesting conversation around Russell Westbrook is the culture in Oklahoma City around the team the way the media is over there the way the fans are like uber protective they They, you know, they often describe Oklahoma City as a quote unquote college atmosphere. And I think that's shading the conversation as well, because there's a sense that like Russ is over there in his own bubble and he's being indulged in every single one of his whims. Mm. And I think a lot of people take exception to that. (laughs) (laughs) He reminds
2: Um, reminds me this reference is not gonna land probably for me but has anybody ever seen the twilight zone episode with anthony where there's this there's this boy and the the town is terrified of him and he has supernatural powers so everybody caters to him or he'll put you under the cornfield or is nobody getting this reference I'm with, you. I'm with you i've okay,
1: never seen thank that you. episode but thank I love you Deborah.
2: josh thank god for josh uh russell westbrook is is anthony in the twilight zone but you were saying <laughs>
1: Well, here's a way to transition this to the Cavs Pacers series. It's like, I don't know if you were on when uh, Tom Haberstrow was making his you know, rant about how everybody who leaves OKC gets better. And he put Victor Oladipo and uh, Demonis Sabonis in that category. He lost me a little bit when he was talking about how Russ was holding back Annis Cantor, which I think is like one of the more laughable Opinions from a smart person I've heard recently. (laughs) Take take that, Tom. (laughs) But on the subject of, like, the dudes who got traded to the Pacers, Oladipo and Sabonis, like, I was definitely one of the people who were like, oh, my God, like, what a fleecing by Sam Presti. I can't believe they got Paul George for these, like, two guys who are scrubs. And then it turns out Oladipo and Sabonis were not, in fact, scrubs. Um, Was do you think that they just got better? Do you think that like Russ was like actively holding them back and they would have been really good last year on a different team? Like what's your, where do you fall there?
0: The first thing was the bonus is that he was a rookie last year. Rookies generally suck. So that's not a Russ thing. That's a rookie thing. That's universally true of pretty much all rookies who aren't Ben Simmons or uh, Donovan Mitchell or LeBron James, for instance, like most rookies um, People who follow the sport closely will tell you are, are net negative most of the time. Overwhelming majority of rookies stink. So the idea that it's a bonus wouldn't make some kind of improvement and leap in his second year is kind of laughable. But the Oladipo question, I think, is a little bit more fascinating. Um, people like to talk about how he changed his body, which he did um and he's certainly making more jump shots particularly of the pull-up variety this season than he did last year but i think a lot of that can be due to confidence and being uh being empowered i should say right in Oklahoma City where your role is essentially when you get the ball, don't fuck it up because this is the Russell Westbrook show. Um, It's a lot different when you go to a new team. These people really want you. And they're looking at you like, no, we think you can do this. We think you can do that. Um, I think that inspires a lot of confidence in a player. And I don't know that that would ever have been the case in Oklahoma City. There's no question Oladipo's a different player. But the ecosystem within which he now plays is just, it's night and day. Uh, and... To say that you can't attribute some of that to the way Westbrook is on that team, I think is kind of naive and ridiculous, honestly.
2: Mm. Here's a hypothetical: if we're talking about how most rookies suck, and that that is observed, that is a true point by Waz. But what would we think of Donovan Mitchell if he was the one playing with Russell Westbrook? Would we think would we think much of him? I I, I bet we would probably probably not. Yeah, yeah. It's a real thing. It's it's a real thing. And people can defend Russ, and I understand that he is insanely fun to watch, but it, it's true. What Tom was saying generally, even if we can make an exception for Enos Cantor, is generally <laughs> true. It's not a good look. And I should also add, when you were asking Josh about what series people were talking about, uh, there was a lot of uh, chortling. Go fine, whatever old timey words you want to use for laughter, and uh, maybe throw in some Schadenfreude uh, at the Thunder series and Westbrook in general from people in the Warriors organization who, not just uh, I, I think they dislike Westbrook and the Thunder for for reasons that are understandable because they got Kevin Durant and the Thunder didn't like it, but there is also just on a religious and aesthetic level an opposition to the way he plays, and they were sure. quite enjoying the OKC flameout. <laughs>
0: and that's what i wanted to ask you uh was this westbrook situation a situation before kd came into the fold
2: no it's it's very mm. conveniently timed all this all this religion they got about westbrook and the thunder um <laughs> they 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 caught it they caught it later on i mean i know some people i know some people who who told me before they got durant that they could get kevin durant because of russell westbrook and because of the way he plays and frankly um I don't want to get aggregated, but I think that they might have gotten some information from the guy they recruited and successfully signed that he was not happy with Westbrook and not happy with that situation, despite his public protestations. uh, And despite the, I didn't mean to like that tweet about Russell Westbrook or whatever else he says, I think they got the message from him that he wasn't happy with that that style.
1: Back to Oladipo for a second. I thought that he really raised his public profile in this series. He said afterward like at the podium at game 7. The guy had some good podium moments in the series, but he said like you basically have to respect us now and if you don't respect us then you're crazy. I didn't really know I didn't really know that you could declare that you were respected, which is like that's an interesting move. But I just felt like the same way that LeBron has kind of broken the curve for everyone in the league, he did the same for Oladipo in this series, right? Because LeBron just goes out every game, you know, even when his teammates are just total trash. Um, he puts up huge numbers, put up forty-five in game seven and in forty-three minutes. And Oladipo is just up and down, just like every I mean, he's a great player, but just like every normal player is. And it's just sort it's striking to me just like Just like Michael Jordan broke the curve for, like, everybody, LeBron is just kind of ruining our perception of what greatness is in the NBA.
2: Oh, Waz, pump up your boss. This this is the way up for you.
0: you, but But you know what's so funny, Ethan, is that I think... I think people are trying to conceptualize what LeBron is doing, you know, w- where we see you guys don't have an appreciation for what Yeah,
2: LeBron- yeah, okay. So to, to, to a peek behind the curtain, something that, that Waz and I and, and friends have been texting each other about is just the sheer amount of people who demand, in the way Victor Oladipo <laughs> <Ledebo> demands respect, <laughs> that you appreciate LeBron. And they're right. They're, they're completely right. But there's just something about it that's sanctimonious. But, Waz, you were saying, I apologize for that
0: one i think it's a it's a market overcorrection for all the years that we unfairly just killed the guy i think a lot of people feel bad about it and want to like sort of overcompensate now um another thing is when you when one when you when you play with lebron pe- more people are watching what you do so like your flaws become magnified to people because they're so acutely aware of what's happening in and around LeBron James. Uh, and, you know, the same goes for when you play against him. I remember not thinking much of Paul Pierce as a dude. I was like, oh, nice little wing player on Indiana. <laughs> Who cares? And then the Heat played in the end in that one series. And I was like, wow, this kid can freaking play. And Paul, I think Paul I, George. Paul yeah, George. Yeah, yeah, Excuse not- me, Paul George. Sorry, yeah, I misspoke yeah. there. Um, And I think the same thing is happening with Victor Oladipo. I think that's what he's alluding to. It's this idea that even though this is a 4-5 matchup of two Eastern Conference teams, um, it is a big stage because you are playing against LeBron James. And to Oladipo's mind, it's like we took these guys to seven games. Nobody expected us to. You got to give us our respect.
1: (laughs) Uh, All right, last last thought. I'm going to make... Ethan, uh, give respect to the Eastern Conference, which is one of the top two conferences in the whole league. <laughs> um, if 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 uh, the Cavs beat the Raptors in the semifinals, after the Cavs got l- lost the first round by forty points on aggregate, but still but still mm-hmm. won the series. If the Cavs beat the the Raptors. <laughs> Does does that mean the East should just be
2: kind of uh, contracted? Like, what what does that say about? I've been I've been for contracting the East <laughs> for years. I, I I see no reason to change my position on it. There's been there, there's been this messaging that oh, it's going to turn around. These things are cyclical. Apparently not. Apparently it keeps going. It reminds of the uh God was it was it the Keynesian quote that um what's what what what's the quote that. That all things change. Ah, oh, man, this is killing me. There's, anyway, there's a quote that basically all things self correct, but, uh, you know, eventually we die or we might die before that. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I'll, I'll find it and interrupt Waz when he's making a great point with just a Keynesian quote out of nowhere. But, my my point is this: We shouldn't have conferences. It's stupid. It's arbitrary. I'm done with it. We don't need to necessarily disband the East. as in put all the teams in it on on an ice flow, but we probably should just have a playoffs uh, that's not divided by geography in a way that doesn't even make sense. Where we have New Orleans in the Western Conference. That's all I'm saying.
0: All right, Memphis well, in the Western Conference is also clumsy and weird.
2: Uh, we'll we'll we we'll also give the Sixers a little respect. Oh in oh, the oh, next oh, oh the quote the, the, the quote yeah, we'll but... be fine in the long run uh, but in the long run we're all dead or something like that <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that so even
0: worth... saying we're we're gonna die before the Eastern Conference that's
2: that's down what I that, that, that's all I'm saying that's my modest uh my modest take.
0: Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the thirty thousand emails that are missing.
3: Technology and politics are moving closer and closer together.
1: And I think it is important uh, to take a look at the power and influence that Amazon has. And these big tech companies aren't just shaping debate. They're shaping the way we live and work. This
3: was a huge breach of trust. People come to Facebook every day, and they depend upon us to protect their data. I'm April Glazer.
1: And I'm Will Oremus.
3: We're the hosts of If Then. New podcast that decodes the heavy tech news flying out of Washington, Silicon Valley, and beyond.
2: Every week, we bring you up to speed on everything from the Russian hacking scandal to the machines that help decide your local voting maps.
3: Find if then wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% All right, before we get to Meek Mill, I wanted to let all of you guys know that in our bonus segment this week was, and Ethan and I are going to talk about Condoleezza Rice's plan to save college basketball. If anyone can save it, I mean, it's probably not her, but maybe it's her. Who knows? Um, If you want to hear that conversation, join Slate Plus for just $35 a year. You can sign up at slate.com slash plus. After the Philadelphia 76ers clinched their first-round series win over the Miami Heat last week, one of the first people Sixers star Joel Embiid embraced was rapper Meek Mill. Embiid said, I was just excited that he got to witness this because he's always represented the city and he loved the city so much. Mill had been in prison for five months for a parole violation. He was released just hours before the game. Sixers owner Michael Rubin sent a helicopter to get him at the State Correctional Institution in Chester, Pennsylvania, uh, just to make sure he made it to Philly in time for tip-off and to ring the bell on the court. Uh, Waz, we can get into how Meek Mill's case became such a powerful uh, rallying cry and symbol for criminal justice reform. But um, first, I wanted to hear from you. What did you think of uh, the scene in Philly last week with him courtside, uh, next Kevin Hart for the game, and just being embraced by all the players?
0: Quite frankly, the whole thing was jarring for me because I'm somebody who fancies myself as a rap fanatic, a rap nerd, a rap aficionado, if you will. And so Meek Mill's story is one that I'm, you know, extremely intimate with and familiar with. But to seek, because. For, you know, to take people behind the curtain a little bit here, uh, Meek Mill is what you would call a street artist, meaning most of his fan base is happens to be people of color. Uh, and the rap fan base, the rap audience as a whole is a majority white audience. So he's not really a mainstream rap artist as, you know, as popular as he may be, his consumers, the people that will show up to his shows, like purchase tickets, who stream his album usually aren't white people. Uh, so to see his, his story, um, his, his case gets so much mainstream attention from the beginning, I found curious uh, to say the least because, you know, let's face it, rappers having jail issues is not some novel idea. It's kind of been going on since the beginning of the mainstreaming of the, this art form. And so to watch it get this much mainstream press, and two years ago, this guy was literally the butt of every single joke, or not just the rap internet, but just in culture um, in general, it was weird to watch the flip go from Meek Mill being the butt of every single joke on the rap internet, the pop culture internet, to becoming a sort of underdog story, and a legitimate one at that. His story is... Um, Anybody who's not familiar with, this guy's been on parole since he was 18 years old. He's now 29. That's 11 years. Like He's the product of a really weird and unjust system, quite frankly. But that's just one part of his story. The other part of it for me is watching people like Robert Kraft and the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Michael Rubin. Basically, Michael Rubin. People who I would call American oligarchs, right, (laughs) Mm -hmm. them aligning themselves with a convicted felon in this public and overt way, it made me raise my eyebrow in a way that I haven't quite unpacked yet. Like, honestly, it's a lot to to digest.
2: I was mostly thinking that American oligarchs would be a good name for a TV show, and this is yet another thing that makes me feel like a, a basketball Rumpelstiltskin, where I was away for a year. The last time I was in Philly, Meek Mill was just the most humiliated man in America, and he showed up to the game. He was court uh, courtside uh, with Nicki Minaj, and they're not— together anymore but everybody was jeering everybody on social media the warriors were, were were enjoying sort of taunting him and sneering at him and took offense to him even even rooting for the Sixers in their vicinity and now and now I come back and And not only is he celebrated, not only is he a a folk hero and a man of the people, but as as Waz said, you have these uh, American oligarchs who are throwing in for him and using their capital, their social capital and actual money and sending a helicopter. And that's, that's the part that I don't get. And maybe, Josh, you have an answer for it. Why did the billionaire set throw in for Meek Mill? What exactly happened? Is this just a new trend at the upper strata of society that we just haven't been informed about? That's the part of it I don't understand.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's totally fascinating. Uh, and I think I have an idea. But before I get to that, I just wanted to fill in a little bit for people who aren't familiar. So his, he was arrested in 2007 for drug possession and carrying a weapon. We now know that the the cop, the Philly cop who arrested him is on a list, a do not call list that was compiled by an earlier uh, Philly DA of cops who are known to be dirty essentially. Mm. And that a lot of the folks who've, uh, who were arrested by this guy have since have their their convictions vacated. Uh, Meek Mill hasn't had his conviction vacated yet, even though he did get out on bond. I think there's a hearing coming up in June, but as was alluded to, all this like probation, parole violation stuff stemmed from that one arrest, and he would get, you know, basically uh, you know, h- caught going out of state f- to like play a, a show or something. I mean, it's all yeah. ri- like ridiculous stuff stemming from this one arrest that turns out to, you know, most likely have been a bum rap. And so getting back to the question about these oligarchs and what they saw in him, I think just based on what I've read, this guy, Michael Rubin, um, is like, you know, for lack of a better term, I think like more woke than 99% of other owners, or at least he fancies himself. Like he's a guy who, um, you know, has said, oh, I see I see myself in, in Meek Mill. I didn't, you know, graduate from school. I like had, you know different kinds of struggles but i had struggles and he like befriended the guy i think genuinely and i think maybe once ruben you know brought meek mill's case to the attention of like the other rich white dudes that he pals around with i think that was that was the thing it just like took one guy to like invite meek mill into the the presence of like robert Krafts and other people like does that does that make sense
0: yeah, I, I mean, the Robert Kraft thing, I know uh, Rick Ross, who is the founder and CEO of a label that uh, Meek Mill is signed to called MMG, he, he's he been posting pictures with Robert Kraft for years. Uh, his relationship with Robert Kraft goes back to like 2011 or so. And so that connection wasn't so fuzzy for me. Uh, and another thing I want to mention, why I think this story is kind of fascinating, Uh Philadelphia, they elected a new district attorney, a guy named Larry Krasner, who used to be working criminal defense, and he campaigned on reforming the criminal justice system. So there's just a lot going on here. Um, And, you know, just to just to put a final point on it, like Meek Mill, he gets arrested by a dirty cop. He's on parole for 11 years. He. They violate his parole on very, very shaky grounds. And it takes two billionaires, Jay-Z, Kevin Hart, to get this man out of prison. (laughs) I don't know what that says about the American justice system, but it's like, holy crap.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and maybe we're exaggerating, like, how many sports owners are really, like, lifting this guy up. Maybe it is just Robert Kraft and Michael Rubin, and they each kind of have their reasons. It's not like we've seen like a groundswell where like you know I'm trying to think of an example of of somebody else like we haven't we haven't heard uh dan gilbert chime in
2: and be like yeah oh free boy man, free man <laughs> <kill."> <laughs> i'm just picturing dan gilbert out of nowhere what happened to shine was a travesty he was set yeah. up by, he was set up by diddy this is ridiculous
0: yeah dan, dan gilbert i'm sure he'll chime in if somebody needs a subprime loan <laughs>
1: but. what um what is the deal with like meek mill being this subject of like so much like mockery because that's not necessarily something that you come back from like his whole um his whole story arc is so weird like why were people so like why were people making fun of him so much like he he got into
0: he got into a rap feud with drake who was basically the biggest rap artist in the world at the current moment and not, not only did he get into the rap feud, it's a feud that he instigated. So he was seen as kind of the aggressor, um, the bully in that situation. It's a feud that basically dropped out of the sky, but for Meek Mill. Um, and Drake basically kind of killed him. And his, and his audience on the internet, they went into full troll mode and just buried Meek Mill. Um, and and so that's what I mean. It's so fascinating to watch him go from that, a guy of just like, oh, you tried to bully Drake, you tried to start a feud with him on very shaky grounds, to you got buried, and then to now he's become a sympathetic figure, a sort of underdog of sorts. It's just completely weird and fascinating <laughs> to see. Ethan, what do you make of
1: just the the players in particular? I mean... Waz was saying um, that he's a, a rapper who particularly speaks to black audiences, and like the Sixers players, whether it's Simmons or Embiid or or other guys, they really seem to have like embraced this dude and kind of made him, you know, a, a part of their team. Really.
2: Well, I think they're no different from the general audience, um, and what Waz said is a good point. I I, I wonder if. I wonder if that's a huge element of this, the humiliation that he was so he was so embarrassed and everybody likes a comeback story. And when you add the uh, him going up against the legal system and going up against the man, he becomes all the more sympathetic. So I, I wonder if he has this groundswell of support had he not gone at Drake, had he not been embarrassed. Had he not been the butt of everybody's joke, he might not have been saved in this way, which is crazy. It's crazy <laughs> that it would have anything to do with his legal status. But I honestly think that it's a factor. I don't think it goes this way without the, uh, the, the Drake beef and uh, the completely blew up in his face.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm just looking on Twitter. Bomani Jones uh, tweeted a few days ago. Bob Kraft has somehow managed to align himself with Donald Trump and Meek Mill without really looking terrible to either side. That's <laughs> 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 that's got to be like some like triangulation world record. I don't know if that's like the most acute triangle or obtuse triangle or what. I, Ethan, maybe you can help with my trigonometry.
2: I was just wondering if Donald Trump's going to take up the Meek Mill cause, and then what happens oh, then? Man which wouldn't be out of the question. I mean, it's unpredictable. Guys, folks, folks, this is unfair. It's ridiculous. Free mill. I, I could see it happening, and I have no idea what the response or reaction might be, but it's not out of the question.
1: The bedfellows are getting stranger, man. Ethan, oh, yeah. you're, I mean, maybe you've lost your touch a little bit, just being away for a year, but I, I'm a little disappointed you didn't get any kind of uh, quotes from Jay-Z, who was courtside at, Game one of the the Warriors here, uh, Pelicans well, game.
2: Well, that's generally the best form when you see Jay Z and Beyonce uh, courtside <laughs> is to just sidle up to them and and start you know start start asking questions. I was actually joking around with friends because there's this conversation about whether Beyonce likes basketball. That's what we do on Twitter with our time. Uh, we <laughs> we talk about important things like this because she always looks so monumentally bored jay-z looks like he's having the time of his life he looks so happy and so excited and beyonce appears as though she would want to be anywhere else and so i I was thinking it would be nice if somebody just quizzed beyonce about about hoop i want to see how much she knows i want to see if she's actually bored i want to see how into it she is so I, I think I failed as a journalist by not asking those tough questions. Jay-Z, we know his thoughts. We know he's friends with LeBron. We know that he was a minority shareholder in the Nets, and he's pretty into it. Beyonce, though, that, that right there, that, that's the one we need answers on. And I apologize to the people for failing them. But then again, technically, I'm not beginning my, uh, my journey with The Athletic till May 15th, so I have an excuse. You other journalists out there, though, should be ashamed of yourselves
0: uh one of one of the other beyonce and jay-z memes is that she has a crush on lebron like there's a lot of memes where she's looking at lebron in a way that you that i might look at a honey bun
2: mm. um
0: and that's a, that's a meme on I, I guess you could say black twitter that's that's one of the memes beyonce is obsessed with lebron
1: is it rihanna yeah, I'm, also I, obsessed I, with
0: lebron well, Rihanna's actually been, like, she's public in her love for the guy. Yeah. Like, she will, you know, write Instagram posts, Twitter, all of that. She's She's been, you know, courtside to both Heat games and Cavs games. Like, she's kind of been public in her support of LeBron. Um, She once splattered sunscreen on her stomach, in, and she made a 2-3 out of it, which I thought was... <laughs> A bit strange, and she posted it to her Instagram and was like, "You know, this is some kind of tribute to King James." Yeah, Rihanna's a bit more overt in her LeBron fandom. I,
1: I would say it. so. Well, I was, I, I intended to uh, suggest that Ethan uh, was going to ask Jay Z about his uh, famous Meek Mill op-ed in the New York Times, but I kind of like the direction we've gone in this con- this conversation. Uh, Because it transitions us into topic number three, which is, like, uh, bad tweets. Uh, Mm. (laughs) So thank you for doing that, maybe unintentionally, Ethan. Um, But on Wednesday night, a day before the NFL draft was set to begin, quarterback prospect Josh Allen, uh, the guy that Mel Kiper Jr., the ESPN pundit, had tapped as uh, the player he'd select with the number one pick, uh, he watched his tweets he'd sent as a teenager were made public and was. The thing that's like was so striking to me um, from the conversation we just had was you talked about certain rap artists being popular among white audiences or or among uh, people of color. And it seems like a lot of what was going on in these uh, tweets that Josh Allen sent when he was like 16, 15 years old was that he was quoting rap, rap lyrics, lyrics with racial yeah. slurs in them as a white guy who comes from a community in California where I think there are not very many black people, um, and kind of apart from the question of like how embarrassing or terrible these tweets are, I think that's a part of the conversation that people have been skipping over. It's just like how rap and hip hop culture, it has um, become like a dominant culture among white kids Kind of in the absence of black people and sort of how um how that works.
0: If you go look, if you go to the rap show of say a J. Cole, right, who you know, to my mind is probably if he's not the second biggest rapper, he's the third biggest rapper behind Kendrick Lamar and and Drake, household names. If you go to one of his shows, Depending on the city, it's going to be an overwhelmingly white audience. That's just the reality. It's just the numbers game, right? Like, black people only comprise of about 8 or 9% of the population. And so, if this is the, the dominant genre in America, it only makes sense that most of the audience will be white people. So, that's one. Two, the idea that I should care what this guy was tweeting when he was 14 years old is laughable to me, especially since. Back in 2009, the way we all, th- all of us, the way we all thought of Twitter, we didn't think of it as this thing that would be documented in perpetuity, right? That's it right. was like, right, it was like, um, you know, we're kind of speaking into the void right now. Half the time, we weren't even sure who was even reading this stuff. And not to make excuses for this kid for his language, obviously, he shouldn't have been tweeting that stuff. Obviously, you know, he needed a certain level of cultural literacy to understand that what he was tweeting probably wasn't a terrible idea but i read those tweets. i'm not gonna lie like this morning i read the tweets for the first time and i laughed you know (laughs) like i was just like this is silly this is silly he mentioned he mentioned killing people at beer pong like it was it was (laughs) silly it was a 14 year old with you know somebody who doesn't have a facility with how you handle 400 years of toxic race relations in America. <laughs> I, you know, like, I, I that's not something I can get out of bed and get upset about. So that would go on the weaknesses
1: in his draft profile. It's like, <laughs> pro, pro, strong arm, con, does not know how to deal with 400 years of horrible race relations in America. That seems, that seems fair. Um, the two things that I found like the most bizarre slash hilarious in this whole episode were that after the tweets came out, um, Josh Allen called Stephen A. Smith at 2 o'clock in the morning oh, to, explain, <laughs> to explain himself. Number two is that, is that Adam Schefter said um, that he had heard from a couple sources, like people who didn't actually know, but they were just floating the idea that team, NFL teams had leaked the tweets – in a bid to get his draft stock to drop so they could get him later. So they could get him later in the first round, which is just like evil genius stuff. And I, I like hope. I hope that's what happened. And,
0: which is pretty much all you need to know um about the NFL. If you kick a woman's ass, that's that's cool. Some weird tweets or, you know, be a rich Jewish kid who doesn't really give a fuck about football too much um <laughs> culturally is a problem. It's, the NFL is so weird. I mean, in a few ye- like, a hundred years from now, I think we're going to look back on our time as a football-obsessed culture in America and shake our damn heads at ourselves. I truly believe that.
1: Well, the the really kind of... I don't. Th- I don't think this is funny. But the ironic thing about him going to the Bills, he went to the number seven pick. It's like their team captain, this linebacker Lorenzo Alexander, is like, you know, Josh Allen's gonna have to do some explaining in the locker room. You know, why did no, you say that?
2: No, he won't. Why did you this say is that?
1: Insane. Well, but wait, but wait. This is this is a team that until recently, when he retired, had Richie Incognito. In the locker room. The guy who used racial slurs against Jonathan Martin and against a trainer for the Miami Dolphins. People like forget that aspect of it. Um, Josh,
2: that's different. He was bullying them. That's, that's fine in football culture. You can't just right. say it out of nowhere. If you're, if you're using it to humiliate and bully weaker people, that's fine. Sorry, continue. No,
1: that is, that is a great point. Yeah, Richie Incognito was an alpha dog. In the locker room. So it was cool. Yeah, he was just, uh, you know, he's a big, strong, tough uh, offensive lineman. No, just this came up recently also with Dante DiVincenzo, the um, uh, Villanova player, white guy, who was the best player in the NCAA championship game. His uh, tweets came out right afterwards. And the the two... Uh, variations on that story. Where he also had some anti-gay stuff, which is uh, uh, not great. Not great. Different from Josh Allen. The other thing was that he went with the the classic. I my account was hacked. My account was hacked eight years ago, <laughs> and I just, oh, I just never <laughs> noticed it. So at least Josh Allen didn't go with it, didn't go that route.
2: Yeah, this is crazy. I think people the the account was hacked excuse works. I, I know Waz and I have talked about this before, but eventually. And I, I don't know what the social cost of this all is going to be. It's going to be realized by, by all the foolish PR people out there that apologizing is a mistake, that, it's, <laughs> that it just digs you in deeper, that it makes you look weak. It makes you get bullied by the richie incognitos of the world. And if you never apologize and don't accept the premise that this is a problem and a serious <laughs> yep. issue, then you're far better off than if you start trying to explain yourself at, at 2 a.m. or what have you uh, to broadcasters. So that's that, that that's my just bit of PR advice that's going to slide us further down the road to hell. Um, and, you know, maybe it's instructive. Uh, we, have, we have a very odd situation right now where it feels as though everybody is running for president or they're analyzed and they're picked apart as though they're running for president, except for the actual president who does tons of crazy shit every day. That's the world we're living in.
1: Was what do you think about just in general, like going back and looking at somebody's old tweets to get a sense of who they were when they were less famous or less guarded? I mean, there's like a lot of like really funny Kevin Durant ones about like how
0: he was. I wanted- love KD's old oh. Twitter. Every Me- time an Me- old KD tweet comes up, I I
2: love it. Neek <laughs> Me- Mill said he was a Heat fan on Twitter in 2010.
0: I retweeted that. <laughs> the, the, the day of the game the night of the game I retweeted that um, and look and I might be telling on myself here but again I just think back in 2009 2008 when Twitter was in its infancy the, the nature of how the platform was used was just different <laughs> the culture was just different people were a lot uh, more un, unfiltered less guarded and again 14 years old? Like, first of all, you got, Josh you got Allen... Some, you
1: got some bad tweets out there, Was? Is that what this oh is? Oh, my said? God.
0: I've got some horrible tweets. You wouldn't even you wouldn't even believe it. Um, The idea that, you know, that I should care what Josh Allen was tweeting at 14, he's 21, 22 now. He's still an idiot, right? He's still a kid. So this idea that, like, when he was 14, I should put any stock in what he was doing. And the idea that, you know he would tweet rap lyrics and by the way the DiFincenzo kid i'm pretty sure he was t- he was quoting meek mill to bring this <laughs> conversation uh full circle um yeah i don't i don't know why we would put any style and again football players like maybe the leader of the free world sure what you were tweeting about eight years ago might matter uh A freaking quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, there's just no relevance. I like the fact that it's the Bills makes
1: it even less relevant. (laughs) You said it with disdain. Come on. Well, this is like something that's not obviously just a a sports phenomenon. I mean, just recently, Kevin Williamson lost his job at the Atlantic for tweeting that women who have abortion should be hanged. This past weekend, there was all this conversation about Joy Reid's old, like, terrible homophobic um, tweets. You've got, I was asking people at at work today, like, what are some other examples? Like Trevor Noah, Blake Shelton, Melissa Villasenor, Quinn Norton are all people who've, um, you know, had really bad, embarrassing, inflammatory tweets come up from their past. Like the stuff, it's like now when somebody comes out of nowhere and becomes famous or just gets like a new platform, Ethan, this is like something that you expect. It's like, yeah, all right, what? And, all right, and, and, let's and let's see no, the tweets.
2: Mm-hmm. And and nobody actually cares. Nobody's actually mad. Nobody's actually mad at Joanne Reed. Nobody's actually mad at any of these famous seem figures. Mad it's mad just at
1: Kevin Williamson for that. For well, the no, the, no, nobody's
2: hanged. mad at. No, I I disagree. Everybody hated Kevin. Everybody who's mad is hated him already. And these were effectively his views. Now, that particular tweet and the way he said it is particularly inflammatory. I grant you that. But this is mostly fodder in a war. And especially, in this is mostly a media thing. This isn't something that you will see out in real workaday jobs out there. I think that there is an acute sense that there are a finite amount of slots. There's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of backbiting. And this is a tool, just like it's a tool in the NFL draft, perhaps knock this guy down a few slots in the draft order so maybe you can have a chance at him. And that's why it's cynically deployed. I believe that we in media, are engaged in a fairly cynical game and it's completely insane. I, 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 I think it's crazy. I think that it has to end eventually. I think it probably requires certain, uh, people who are in charge of various media entities to understand that nobody actually cares that this is mostly uh, false outrage, but I don't think we're there yet. I think people are still responding to Twitter, um, and letting that, sort of dictate what they should do with their company because it's the most immediate kind of feedback, even though it's not the most representative kind of feedback. Um, and we're not out of that area yet. Um, and it, it, it's still going. I expect it to end, though. I expect it to end eventually.
0: You know, what's funny about what you just said, Ethan. Um, every time I see somebody post uh, hey man, if I get to one hundred thousand tweets, I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z, or this person's gonna do this. I always laugh to myself a little bit because I'm like, man, there might be a hundred thousand people using this whole platform right now. <laughs> um, I think we, I think we overestimate the audience, the reach of Twitter. I really think we do because I oh, think. Yeah. The people who use Twitter are really into it, but I don't think that's a mass audience. And I think you're right. Like a lot of times you'll see some outrage on Twitter, Twitter specifically. Facebook, that's a whole other beast and animal. But I'm talking about Twitter specifically. A lot of times you get caught up in these little bubbles and it feels like the whole world around you is going crazy and you walk outside and nobody cares.
2: Yes. Nobody knows. We were talking about this on your podcast, Waz, but you you see this inversely, too, that some things are absolutely massive cultural phenomenons that you don't see on Twitter at all, where in the lead up to the Roseanne reboot, which got 25 million viewers, I didn't see anybody in my – Mill you tweeting about that nobody well, nobody at all wait a second
1: all. wait a second while you guys are congratulating each other on how great your takes on twitter are let me oh, just let me they're just ju- let me just jump in to say i don't i don't agree with two two things that you guys just said number 1 i think um the idea that like not that many people on twitter i think people exaggerate that like how many different platforms and Have we had, like, in the history of the world in which you could get this guy, Josh Allen, who becomes the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, but, like, he's just this, like, 14-year-old kid in California or whatever, and his, like, pub- a public record of his thoughts are out there from back then, however important you think they are. But so, like, he's using this platform, and then you have, like, the fucking president who's using the platform. You have Joy Reid, Kevin Williamson, Trevor Noah, everybody else we've named. They're all using the same tool. And like to say that nobody uses Twitter, I think we can get a little bit that we can exaggerate a little bit that like it, with that. Well, it's like well, impressive well, well, how many people all, are
2: on this thing. Well, well Josh, Waz, and I tweet far more than you do. So we have way more standing. <laughs> <without> <laughs> standing. No, that's true. That's true. The other, the hey, other point wait. I
1: would make is that, Ethan, I think you are diminishing the value of looking back at what people what a public record of what people say because of the medium because that their their tweets it's like a classic thing that w- people have done um, not just in the media but just but whoever is just like look back at what people said before they came famous or
2: look for um, I, I will grant you that it, it, the medium at least in the past, when as Waz said, people were speaking into the void, it almost serves as a media version of Mount Vesuvius freezing a culture in time. That you, you have this odd insight into what was rattling around people's noggins. I would have gone uh, that, for the
1: like but mosquito and the amber, but that works too.
2: That's 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 also that's that's also excellent right there. Um so there is a value to that, and I'm sure. Um, whatever the version of archaeologists that, that will exist in the future will get something out of that. I, I do believe that there is some value in it. I just don't think that We should apply it to the extent we're applying it, and we should take it as seriously as we're taking it, or we should have this complete temporal collapse where we just pretend that people don't grow and get better, that we hold you to the standards of things you said eight years ago is absolute madness. It's complete madness, and it's got to stop.
0: I, I don't want to minimize the platform because, by the way, Twitter is probably my favorite Internet thing since I got on the Internet. <laughs> right. Like it's pro- it's easily my favorite thing that that I've done on the Internet. But what I will say is that what gives Josh Allen's tweets any relevancy is that it's on SportsCenter right, that they're talking about it during the NFL draft. The idea that Joe Sixpack gets a, you know, gets a pack of rolling rocks and he hops on his laptop and he's like, hmm, the Bills might draft this kid Josh Allen. Let me fire up the old Twitter machine to see what he said in 2009. I don't think that's a concept in any real way in like real life. I don't think it's applied in, in any meaningful way that like the average person who doesn't you know interface with Twitter interact with Twitter as a medium does not care right if you're not on Twitter you don't care about it and so i don't think the average fan um especially football fans particularly and i don't want to sound like i'm you know denigrating football fans cuz oh, i know. Yes yes, yes yes you do yes <laughs> you do.
2: Yeah.
0: but they simply don't care this is a sport where people bash their brains in right for money, essentially. I don't think the fans give a damn. That's why this whole Josh Allen thing is hilarious to me.
2: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, let's move on
1: to our afterball segment. And every week we name our afterballs after something that's in the news. Um, and what better thing to honor this week just coming out of that conversation than the most powerful man in the world who once tweeted amazing how the haters and losers keep tweeting the name fuckface von clownstack like they're so original and like no one else is doing it this is from May 3rd 2013 12:35 p.m. real Donald Trump has not deleted this tweet um he's really modeling Ethan behavior that the rest of us should follow just own it own the tweets mm-hmm. don't apologize yeah. um and so i think since this is a family podcast i'm not going to call our our um after Balls fuck face von clown sticks <laughs> i'll just go with this with the surname von clownstick. um does either of you guys want to go first with a von clown stick or should i go first
2: <laughs> by all means take the raids.
1: please so I thought just in the spirit of camaraderie that my Von stick could just be kind of a reading and a commentary on Kevin Durant's old tweets, which um, I think as a group we have uh, expressed love and admiration for. Um, so I'm just going to go through like Uprox, uh did a, a nice job uh, <laughs> compiling them. And so I'm going to like ride off of their lab- labor here and we can just uh, evaluate some of some of uh, Kevin Durant's old uh, Twitter style. What we make of it, how he's grown or not grown. Um, December fifth, two thousand eleven. KD Trey Five tweets, looking at your phone after being away from it for two hours and no texts or nothing. It's a tough feeling, man. LOL. It hurts. Why? Wow. <laughs> does that get? Does that just get you in your in your gut?
0: You know what? I will say this. I'm in so many group chats now that that's never the case. Not that people are actually contacting me. A lot of times the conversation is happening amongst the people in the group chat, like, you know, um, independently of me. So like, that's not a, a sensation that I've gotten in a long time. But... You know, everybody Waz, Waz just wants theory. everybody to know he's in a lot of group chats. No, that's, I mean, <laughs> it's just the way we communicate now. But like but,
2: that, but, by the way, Waz, that's going to be the Twitter of the future, where the things you said in the group chat are going to come out to kill you. But yeah, you were saying.
0: I mean, I've, and i and I've said I've been on record with that. If the group chats of America were ever to be made public, there wouldn't be a single employable person left. <laughs> Um, so I'm not even, I like, that's not even something that I think about. It hasn't happened to me in a long time, but I know that feeling where you're just like, oh man, let me see who's, who's reached out to me in the last two hours. And it's just nothing. It's just you and your Safari browser. (laughs) 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 You know? So yes, I can absolutely relate to KD in that sense.
1: All right. Another genre of KD tweet is the KD thirst tweet. Um, so July 2010 replying to Amber Rose. I know this is random but I seen you in LA and you got the meanest bald head ever. <laughs> wow. Better than MJ, <laughs> Wow. Better than MJ, Charles Barkley and all them.
0: Wow. KD's okay, he's got he's got some stones on him that guy. <laughs> he also tweeted in
1: 2011 not at her but just kind of for the world Erica Badu, thicker than a kindergarten pencil, which I thought was a good (laughs) (laughs) line.
0: Oh, boy. KD. Yeah. KD's Twitter account is the gift that keeps on giving, man. KD's KD's relationship to social media is just, it just doesn't stop. He liked the comment that was dissing Russell Westbrook on Instagram the other day.
1: Oh, yeah, but his finger slipped. His finger slipped.
0: (laughs) Right, and of course you have to address it in the media. It's just, Katie just doesn't stop, man. All right, we need Ethan. We need Ethan to pipe up
1: on this one. Ethan, hashtag you ever wake up in the middle of the night and think about a girl you like or starting to like, and sit at the edge of the bed and say, "Damn, I want her."
2: <coughs> you know, you know what's great about that, Josh. Uh, I, I I have that exact sequence, and that lovely lady is my wife. Love Bye. you, Allie. <laughs> I'm watching the history channel
1: in the club and I'm wondering how do these people know what's going on on the sun? Ain't nobody ever been. (laughs) Kyrie Irving is thinking, maybe I need to team up with KD. How do we make this happen? We got a lot of stuff to talk about.
2: oh this is wonderful you know he's actually just like this in real life if you go up to if you go up to kevin durant and i I don't mean this as a joke it he it's just takes it's constant takes it's constant jack handy deep thoughts it's exactly like the twitter feed that you're reading right now
1: all right last the last genre um is exemplified i didn't get into the scarlett johansson's bathwater part we can we can leave that for another show but um the last genre is, for example, from August, 2009, I want to play with Oklahoma city for my whole career. Okay. Um, and then in 2010 and <coughs> 2010, now everybody want to play for the heat and the Lakers. Let's go back to being competitive and going at these people.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes. 2000, 2010 was such a more innocent time <clears throat> before KD realized that he hated Russell Westbrook. Um, And back when he, the media, oh my god, um, and again, as I full disclosure, I fancy myself as a close LeBron observer. (laughs) Some would even say a stan. But I remember in the moment, in the moment, this isn't one of those things that I go back and say, you guys are stupid for doing this. In the moment, the media made it a thing that KD quote unquote quietly signed his rookie extension, which is literally every single rookie in the history of man. When they were offered a max extension, they signed that thing because they were making 3 or $4 million a year prior to. And it's a huge jump in salary. Every single rookie does it. KD did it just like everybody else does. And people were like, you see, KD unceremoniously signed his rookie exception. He didn't do a big show like The Decision. And it's just like... That's not a thing that people do. He was getting, this is this was the level to which that people hated LeBron. They were giving people, first of oh all, the, was. the
1: we're most, gonna most cut. embarrassing
0: one was Derrick Rose. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> Derrick Rose was a hero. We're going to have to cut your mic. Um, we didn't even get into the Katie Burner account situation, but I think we got we to gotta stop here. We have to do a special episode on Kevin Duran and social media at some yes. point. All right, Waz. What is your Von Clown stick for
0: us? Um, a guy whose work I truly admired, uh, Tom Ziller, on you know the, on Twitter of Twitter fame. But I, he, uh, Ziller works for SB Nation. Am I right? Yeah. Um, he does. He does a uh a, a, a newsletter, which I re- I read his newsletter. And at the end of one of them last week, he was like, "Let's just be nice to each other on Twitter." Simple enough. You know, it's like an obvious thing. I get the, you know, if you're reading it, you get the gist of what Zill is trying to say. It's like, we can disagree about shit like Russell Westbrook, but, you know, we can be (laughs) nice people to each other. Cool enough. But that snowballed into a bunch of people on NBA Twitter saying, oh, NBA Twitter sucks now. People are so strident. You can't even have an opinion. I'm like, guys... This is the nature of the medium. Not not just Twitter, but the internet. We speak in snark. That's what we do. Uh, Ethan mentioned that he was on a hiatus, you know, a a work related hiatus from NBA Twitter, and then he finally came out of hibernation. He starts talking about some mundane NBA topic, and he's like, 20 different people are hitting me with like super passionate opinions about it. And he's like, I missed this! (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's just like, this is what we do on Twitter guys like it's yes every now and again you get somebody who crosses the line and it's quite simple to find the drop down menu and hit the mute button but most of the conversation is fun how else would I speak to people from the prairie about you know, Steven Adams' pick-and-roll defense. That just could (laughs) never happen but for Twitter. Um, There are, you know, a few minor downsides in my opinion, but I think the conversation around the NBA particularly, how diverse it is, how lively it is, I think it's wonderful, quite frankly. And so that's my Von Cloud stick. (laughs) (laughs) That is my Von Cloud stick. Well, I want to ask a follow-up question
1: because we didn't quite get to it in our NBA talk in the first segment is was what do you think of like all of the, the clowning, the von clown sticking of Carmelo? Because when a guy like get, when a really good player, I mean, Carmelo's had a, obviously a very strange and, and tortured career in many ways, but like when a, when a good player like gets the downside of his career, like people can be like really harsh And Carmelo is not getting what you would call respect (laughs) on the internet right now.
0: I always, and again, I hate to bring this back to LeBron. I I always thought Carmelo's status and stature as a star, as a household name in the NBA and in America outpaced his actual output on the court. I always felt like that was the case. We talked about him in the same ways that we talked about a Kobe, a LeBron, um, a, you know, a Tim, the Tim Duncans of the world. We're talking about top 15 players ever in the history of the game. Carmelo was probably a top 15 player in the NBA during his tenure. You understand? And we would put him in those conversations. And I think, you know, playing in New York and being really freaking bad, so playing – playing in a place where a lot of people are paying attention to what you're doing and absolutely sucking hurt him. And I, th- and I think his style of play as a guy, a quote unquote scorer, um, is not somebody that always engenders a lot of sympathy with the more nerdier analytical based segment of the basketball viewing public. And which is ironic because all indications from most people who have had to deal with Carmelo media wise is that he's, a really super pleasant guy he's always nice he's always courteous with his time um i just think his popularity his popularity always outpaced his actual output and that's kind of caught up to him in a bad way to where you know carmelo anthony joins russell westbrook and paul george you know neon sign type of names and people think of carmelo still in that way and he's was so bad in OKC. And I just think that's a product of that.
1: So maybe the short way to sum it up is people should have been meaner to him when he was good and should be (laughs) nicer to him when he's bad. I, I would agree.
2: <laughs> I would say to quote Don Draper, that's what the money's for. He's got a player option for over $28 million and he deserves the scorn that is being heaped upon him. That's, that's, that's what I would say. You're
1: probably right. Are you going <laughs> to, are you ready to break off a uh, Von yeah. Clown stick, Ethan? Yeah, I'll,
2: I'll, I'll give a Von Clown stick. I'll, I'll give uh, my own version of a free Meek Mill for uh, Mike Schumann. Uh, KGO anchor locally who got himself into quite the – do we call it an imbroglio? Do we call it a scandal? I don't know what to call it. Uh, I've never I've never encountered anything like this in media. So Mike Schumann used to play for the 49ers in the 80s, uh, local newscaster, sports newscaster now uh, for the local affiliate – and got himself into hot water when in San Antonio he went onto the court when the court was abandoned, saw a Warriors jacket, and picked it up and walked away with it. What he did not know, um, and you know, in a in, in a life imitating a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode type of scenario, is that the jacket. Actually, belonged to Steph Curry's highly respected, beloved bodyguard, Ralph Walker. Another man in his 60s. So we have a, a wah, we have a situation. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> we have a situation where one man in his 60s stole from another man in his 60s. He has uh, Mike Truman has since been suspended. I think his status is up in the air, and I believe uh, Draymond Draymond Green said that it's the principle. Um, in condemning Mike Schumann. But I, I, I just want to say, having met Schumann, uh, liking him quite a bit, so I am biased, uh, and who's a nice guy. He should not have done this. This was the wrong thing to do. He has since apologized. I do. I would not want to see him fired over this, and so I wish him the best out there because this is probably an uncomfortable situation to go through. And free Mike Schumann, we all deserve a second chance. We all deserve some forgiveness. That is my Von Clown stick.
1: That was such a weird story. I'm glad to get the, the background on that a little bit.
2: I know both of them. It's an odd situation to know, <laughs> to know both the thief and the victim. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think cooler heads should prevail in this. Do
1: you think it would be the, the right thing to do here is to let Steph's bodyguard take anything he wants from Mike Schumann's wardrobe?
2: <laughs> i would love that especially if it's some great we have to really line human up with all the best 49ers paraphernalia from the 1980s that he owns and there might be something really valuable there there might be a game-worn joe montana jersey i think ralph walker could really make a killing in this i support it i that's that's the Hammurabi's code of this and i i, I think it's the right way to go
0: there's some real Old Testament Eye for and eye stuff going on here, guys. Oh yeah,
1: the only that, way to do it. Um, jacket for a jacket. That's that's. The
2: oh, way. and I also and I also support if we're talking Old Testament, I, that, that Mike Schumann keep his job, but possibly chop his hand off. You know, if we're really going Old Testament, <laughs> <laughs> that's how we deal with thieves. On that note,
1: that is our show for today. Uh, our producer is Patrick Fort. Thank you so much to Ethan Strauss and uh, Wozny Lambray, big Woz uh, for coming on this week it was fun um, to listen to past shows and subscribe or just reach out go to slate.com hangup you can email us at hangup at slate.com I'm Josh Levine, remember Zelmo Beatty and thanks for listening